0: You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you
1: every step of the way. Hi, this is Carrie Bediant. I am one of the physicians at the Fertility Center of Las Vegas, and you are listening to... Fertility Docs Uncensored. And I have Dr. Abby Eblin with me from the Nashville Fertility Center and Dr. Susan Hudson of Texas Fertility Center. And I have a very random question for you ladies because I don't get to see you. And one of the problems of making friends in adulthood is you don't know all the crazy stories from earlier in their life. So random question of the, of the day is what crazy, weird, or strange jobs did you work when you were a teenager?
2: When I was a teenager, my aunt actually owned a paintball field. And so I spent the summer at a paintball field watching people (laughs) shoot each other with paintballs.
1: Were you ever the unwilling target of any of that?
2: Oh, no, no. I actually have never played paintball (laughs) because of my experience working at the paintball (laughs) field. Um, I saw too many people shot at close range and those really fantastic bruises that they come out, and they're just like, oh, take a look at this. And I'm like, yikes.
1: When the bruises develop that fast, you know you are, you have a problem. Yeah. That's going to hurt the next day. It was, it was,
2: it was an interesting job. It was, it was fun. Um, I uh, worked at the field with uh, this guy that was a family friend, and he was like six foot seven, something like this. Mm -hmm. And Um, You know, we just took care of, you know, you had to take care of the paintballs because they were sensitive to humidity and everything like that. But you have
1: to take care of paintballs? You do. You can't just pull them out of a box and say, here you go?
2: No, no. You have to make sure they're kind of maintained in good temperature and humidity because otherwise they stick to each other. And and then they won't explode at the right time or they won't explode at all, which that's painful because they're meant to explode to create the splatter and then you did maintenance on the the little paintball guns and everything like that and
1: did you ever have to set up obstacles and things for people to do on the paintball course i've never actually been paintballing either because i'm a nerd and <laughs> and don't do anything like that because that would imply some sort of athletic ability and I've actually shot zombies
0: with paintballs. That's a <laughs> zombie that's, that's a thing around Halloween. There's a farm
1: near Nashville and you can shoot zombies with paintballs. Where do they get the zombies? Are they, like, organic, naturally found zombies in the local Just graveyards? dig them up. Or? And they're walking
0: around, too. You know, if you're walking along the area, all of a sudden, you may feel somebody's
1: breath on your neck. And you turn around and there's a zombie. Oh, my God. I would probably break somebody's <laughs> nose. I mean, I don't know if a zombie cares if you break their nose. But the person behind the zombie might, might have an opinion about that.
2: I don't even like to get a Six Flags around Halloween because of those creepy people walking around.
1: <laughs> Actually, it's funny you should say that. I was at... Six Flags over
0: Georgia uh-huh. at in fall break and they had their Halloween fest going mm-hmm. on and there were creepy
1: clowns walking around. Yeah,
2: yeah. It, that's... Mm.
1: Oh, thank you, no. Yeah. Thank you, no.
0: <laughs> Plan your
2: trips accordingly. <laughs> what
1: about you, Abby? Have you ever shot people as part of your routine summer job?
0: No, I can't really <laughs> say that I have. Probably... Most, most unique and really kind of funnest job I think I've had, aside from being a fertility doctor, is I worked as a camp counselor at a church camp, in uh, and it was in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. This and it was so cool. So the inner biologist in me, even back then, came out and there was something called foxfire there. Mm-hmm. And there's re- very few places, I think, that foxfire exists, but it's a type of fungus and it's fluorescent. <laughs> oh. And so when you're walking through the woods late at night and you're camping out, oh. all of a sudden, and it didn't happen often, but occasionally you would look over and you'd see something glowing and you'd go over there and it would be foxfire. And so you'd always, you know, it was like gold when you found it, it was so cool. And then you take it back to your cabin or platform wherever you're camping out. And the next morning you look and it looked like just like a stick that you picked up on your walk. Wow. But it's really cool. It's it's like a very u- rare, unique fungus.
2: Have, have you ever heard of those places where like the water is like fluorescent? Yeah, fluorescent. Mm-hmm. Same sort of deal. I think yeah. Puerto Rico.
0: I think in Puerto Rico there's a place like that. In Hawaii, I think yeah, there's a place would, like that. I would like to go see that. Same sometime. sort of thing. It's fluorescent
1: fungi, yeah. I guess. Now, when you the see the fluorescent fungi in the water, is that a good thing or a bad thing for the water? Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. It is a phenomena, though.
2: Yeah. It's kind of huh. like the Aurora Borealis. Exactly. There I don't you go. think I ever learned that
1: one in school. Why so
0: they teach in Tennessee, the Aurora
1: Borealis is Fox fire in the Mountains. Very cool. <laughs> Very nice. What about you? So I did, I was a theater ne- I was a theater geek and band geek all the way. And so I worked as a stage manager. I did lighting design and was also just your general nerd as well and did tutoring. But I didn't have any super exotic jobs. But I, I spent a lot of time on top of ladders, sometimes when I was in the show too. So I would be in full period garb with a dress and petticoats and that stockings and heels. <laughs> and it was at the top of a, an 18-foot ladder changing a dropout. And um, so that changing was a dropout, she uses those technical terms I there. I know, <laughs> I know. Um, okay, so this talk is going to be a little less technical because this one directly impacts both of you. Now, for the majority of podcasts that we've done so far, they have been, as physicians, how do we help our our patients, our listeners find and understand the technical aspects of what we're doing? but for this one, what we'll do is a little bit different because both both of you ladies, both Abby and Susan, have been through IVF for their own families. And so they know what it feels like to be on both sides of the desk. And most fertility doctors are complete and total control freaks. It's why we do what we do, and it's why we're good at what we that do. That is true. But what does it feel like to be on the other side of the desk?
0: uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> it's not something, it was funny, people ask me when they find out that I have
0: children from IBF, they're like, oh, so that must have been the reason you went into fertility. And I was like, no, actually, I was already a f- fertility doctor. And, you know, therefore, I thought I was immune to it. Mm-hmm. So I was actually pretty unhappy and a little angry that, you know, why is this happening to me? Because I help people get pregnant, and it's not supposed to happen to me. And so that was a little bit of a kind of a mindset that I had to change a bit as I went through the process. It it was
2: was scarier than I expected it to be. Um, uh, My situation was a little bit different from Abby's. Um, I had had two children and had had my tubes tied, and we decided we wanted to have one more. And so we decided to go down the path of IVF, and it's like, oh, it shouldn't be any problem. I'm less than 35, just had my tubes tied. And then life happens and things aren't exactly as you thought they were going to be
1: so, what how old were each of you when you went through? I mean knowing that that you are currently both still under the age of twenty nine <laughs> of yes. course, yes, yeah, I was
0: about i think thirty four close to thirty five when I did my first round of i b f
1: and I was around thirty two and so both of you were fully. Bully through training, knew all of the ins and outs. That was that made it worse, I think, in some ways. I feel like we need
2: we need things that knew too much. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. So, were you both treated by colleagues within your practice, or how did you how did you as fertility docs decide who you were going to work with?
0: Well, and that was a little tricky too because it was within my own practice and you know, you hated to choose one colleague over the other, but um, when it was all said and done, I chose, chose a female colleague rather than a male colleague. Mm-hmm. That was just my own personal preference. Um, and, but it was really challenging because you didn't want somebody to feel like you didn't trust them or trust their judgment. And it really also made it challenging too because when you got your pregnancy results back, um, the people that worked in your lab knew you were pregnant before you even knew you were pregnant. So it, was, it made it a little weird. <laughs> little awkward.
2: Mine was a little bit different. I actually could not do my fertility treatment with my colleagues. And so that was, I ended up having to essentially delve into the world of kind of my competitors and everybody else out there. And uh, instead of going to one of the doctors nearby, I actually Looked across the United States and I did the, um, we're going to go to who I think could do what I wanted the best and, um, chose, a clinic over on the east coast while we were down in texas so we added the you whole, travel we did travel and remote monitoring and, and those types of things so that added a whole nother dynamic as well we started our stimulation in texas and had some of our monitoring done there and then kind of halfway through the stimulation or when the docs up there were like oh you need to get up here closer um you know flew up north and kind of went from there and got stuck in a snowstorm and
1: jeez <laughs> oh, so how do you see your own patients and help them through their pain and anger and frustration and happiness and joy while you were going through the same thing yourself because doctors don't get days off
0: oh it was that that really became very difficult for me cuz i didn't have children and just like our patients i mean i was at the point where i you know we had you know, tried on our own for a little bit. And I kind of knew the statistics and I'm like, okay, we're starting to fall in the infertility range here. And so then we started doing um, IUI or intrauterine insemination with fertility medicine. And after several months of things looking like they were going well, but no results, you know, I started looking and thinking about my biological clock and knowing what my age was and that we were falling into a narrower and narrower, narrower group. And, you know, I started getting really kind of panicky, like, oh, my gosh, if this doesn't work, what else is there? You know, and so um, it was I I laugh now about it. But toward the end there, I think I was starting to cry with my fertility patients. You know, they'd be talking about something. They would get really upset and they'd start crying and I almost was crying with them. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of comical now. But at the time, it wasn't.
2: Yeah, I I have to say it was, you know, I, I think going through this has definitely made me understand my patient's perspective more. And and a lot of it are the things that actually have nothing to do with medicine. So um, the not knowing when your retrieval is going to be. Uh, you know, I, I'm sitting there with a full clinic book of patients and being like, oh, I have to get on a plane tomorrow to go be monitored in case my retrieval is going to be in a couple of days. Um, you know, different things like that. Like I said, we got stuck in a snowstorm and I couldn't get back to see my patients. And I was essentially having to take days of vacation while I didn't have the company I worked for didn't have maternity leave. So every day I was away was potentially taking away a day that I was not going to be able to hopefully, (laughs) if everything worked out right, be part of my maternity leave. And so there was that, that was a huge, huge tug and trying to get all of that balanced out. Um, I ended up, um, having a, uh, threatened miscarriage. So I ended up having some pretty significant bleeding, a subchorionic hemorrhage, um, when I was about five and a half weeks and, you know, scared the living daylights out of myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're sitting there and your heart and your brain are telling you completely different things. We know what we tell our patients, but when it's happening to yourself, it's not fun.
0: I had a really similar experience when I was, after my transfer, when I was waiting for the pregnancy test, I remember thinking, you know, I was going to get up and get myself something to eat. My husband had gone to the store or something and I started moving around and it's like, I just froze for a minute. I'm like, (gasps) oh my gosh, maybe I shouldn't be moving around. Maybe I'm going to, you know, the embryo is going to fall out of me or something. And it was the weirdest feeling because it was like my patient brain was talking. And then it's like my doctor brain took over and was like, you know, Abby, if you called me on call, this is what I would say to you. <laughs> and I would say, it's just fine. You're The, mm-hmm. the embryo is not going to fall out of you. But even though I knew better, it's like, it's so funny how, you know, y- you know you can't hide the person side of you as well. And, and so the doctor and patient side of me kind of, You know, talked back and forth during that whole process. I think I I
2: think one thing that it that became very aware for me is being very aware of every word I say to my patients because I don't. You won't necessarily know what you're saying that might trigger something that that upsets your patients Mm -hmm. when they're going through. Yeah. Um, When I had my egg retrieval, my ovaries were not working as well as what I had hoped they would. They were acting like somebody who was in their late 30s instead of their early 30s. And my husband is a computer guy. He is completely non-medical except for the fact that he's been with me through all of my medical training. And when I woke up from anesthesia, so when, when you go through an egg retrieval, we expect to get most of our eggs from larger follicles. And those are the ones that are theoretically supposed to be the most mature and ready to take the sperm. Well, the doctor had come and talked to my husband before I woke up. And the first thing my husband tells me is we got seven eggs and they all came from little follicles. And I just bust into complete
1: tears. And he's probably looking at you like, <laughs> what is going on here? He
0: had, he, little, little follicles usually mean... A lot of immature eggs that are not Correct. good. You can't use them.
2: Right. And, and so, like, he has no idea why I'm so upset. And, and he's like, I'm, so, I'm sorry, you know. And, and it's one of those things that I was just like, who says that to somebody? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's... You knew it's, too much. That was the I, I knew too much. <laughs> I knew too much. And, and it was, you know, my, my doctor was trying to tell him everything that potentially I would want to know, but it didn't need to come through the filter of my husband.
0: Well, and I had sort of a similar experience where I kind of broke down and started crying because, you know, I was, you know, a working reproductive endocrinologist and was doing embryo transfers on patients. And so I kind of knew, you know, what what's the normal grading system or what's the normal grade of embryos that you see when you do a transfer? And so, you know, I, you know I, for several months, I'd been doing transfers on patients. And when my doctor came to tell me about my embryos, instantly, without any explanation, I knew they were crappy embryos. (laughs) They were way worse than any I had transferred over the past several months. And so that was my moment where, you know, I just started crying. It was sort of a silent cry. And during the entire embryo transfer, tears were running down my cheeks because I just couldn't help it. And I knew they were bad embryos. And I just, I knew it wasn't going to work. But they can make
1: beautiful babies. But they can make bad
0: embryos, can make beautiful babies. That is definitely Mm -hmm. the moral of the story. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So did your respective worlds, you know, obviously your spouse is new, but did your families know? Did your full office know? Did any of your other friends know? How do you approach that when you're the doc in the office? Did any of your patients know? As no, you, I, you know,
0: I can't speak for Susan, but I think when you're going through something traumatic like that, you're really worried, or at least me personally, I was really worried and really scared. And right now you don't even, or at the time, you don't even know how you feel about it much less trying to share your emotions with somebody else. I mean, I really kept it close to the vest. And really, until my kids were probably around the age of two or three, I really didn't share much with patients. And then I got, it, I became more open about it, and I got more comfortable sharing it with patients because I really felt like that was almost kind of a spiritual thing for me. I really felt like that I had been given this hurdle to get through to open my eyes and to help my patients. And so I really try and share it. I don't share it with all my patients, but I do with certainly with some some that are emotionally having a really difficult time Mm -hmm. getting through Mm -hmm. it. It, It's made you who you are today. Absolutely. It has, it has. So for me,
2: um, my office knew, uh, my mother knew. And while we were going through it, really nobody else knew kind of family or friends wise. And then after we were pregnant, we shared what, what we went through. But um, I wasn't sure how everybody would respond uh, in my family. I mean,
1: but being, you're a fertility doc. But, I mean, they but know you, that okay, that that's what you so do. It, it was The
2: same way, and I didn't but, know why. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in, in my family, it was kind of funny though because I'm the fertility doctor, and like I have a cousin who's an ER doctor. Well, he's the kind of real doctor in the family. Yeah. So when people have like a medical problem, they don't usually call me. <laughs> <laughs> they call him, which is which is fine, you know that type of thing. But I think it's it, it's it, what happens is unless you're involved in this field or you're in some way, whether as a p- patient or as a physician or a nurse. It's really hard to kind of understand what we do, and especially older members of the family, you know, even when I went through OB-GYN residency, they could at least understand, okay, Susan delivers babies. Mm -hmm. I can get that. But as a reproductive endocrinologist, you know, explaining, you know— Vitro, Susan makes babies. Susan, yeah. <laughs> Susan is an agent that helps make babies. <laughs> you know, is it that that's a harder thing I think especially for sometimes people in older generations to to understand. Uh, you know, and if I did this now, I don't think I would have any problem telling them, you know, mm-hmm. but but when I did this, my daughter is now 9, so this was almost 10 years ago, you know. The world has changed a lot in 10 years.
0: Yeah, I still think, though, that I personally, if I'm really upset or worried about something, I, that's just my personality. I don't really, I don't let it out a lot. And that's probably not a good thing emotionally to do, but that's that's kind of how I cope with it. And so um, it just took me a while to kind of open up and really share my experience with, with other people.
1: So if neither of you really had close friends or other family to lean on, besides a, a very few select people. How did you emotionally cope with this? How did you deal with this? Because it's like you said, it's not like you got any time off. I mean, you're still working full patient loads, giving the same level of care while going through your own own personal trauma.
0: I'd say do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fair.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I did have my husband was really good support. Mm-hmm. during those Couple of weeks, and we were waiting for that, and then pregnancy test. I didn't think it was going to be positive, and so my husband was. You know, I remember we played a lot of backgammon while we were sitting there those first day and a half when I had to kind of be still at home, and and he was kind of a, a good cheerleader for me and made me laugh, and that was really
1: helpful. What about you, Susan? How did you get through?
2: I, I think you know I relied on my husband. I relied on my mom. I, you know, and unfortunately, I relied on myself a lot. I mean, I think there were probably there were probably better or other ways to do it, but i I did the best that I could at the time and I, I think that's all all any of us can do because we all have different histories, different families, different friends that are coming from different situations and and not everybody's going to have a f- big social circle that that they can that they can go to. Some people are just more private and that's okay. But you can, you can go and do the things that you enjoy doing. I mean, we took advantage of while we were doing it, we did a little traveling up in the Northeast to go see <laughs> some sites because, you know, what are you supposed to do while you're trying to get pregnant?
1: <laughs> so if you could go back now and, and smack, smack the prior person you were as she was going through it and saying, look, you really need to do X this one thing, what would you tell her?
0: Well, one of the things I think I learned from my experience is kind of what you touched upon, and that is you really do need a support system, and it really probably was unhealthy not to bring more people in. So I really, really think now, if I had to do again, and what I tell my patients too is I really practice mindfulness, and that's really just, it's not a religion or anything like that or anything weird, it's really just trying to stay in the moment, because most of what we're anxious and scared and worried about is either in the past or many times in the future. So we're worried about, oh my gosh, is my pregnancy test going to be positive? What am I going to do next? And we sort of forget to live in the moment and enjoy the life that we're living now. So, you know, all you have is today, You no know, guarantees about tomorrow. And so um, I think it's important to try and find healthy ways to to handle stress. Exercise is a good way, but I really do think sharing and talking to someone—a um, mental health professional, a minister, somebody like that—I think is a good thing. Just to have a, a neutral third party kind of involved with the process.
2: I would have taken out the travel component. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, mm-hmm. I, I mean,
0: That's, that adds a whole nother layer. Adding the
2: travel component to the stress of IVF really it it added a lot to my plate. Um, having to schedule last-minute flights. You know, at the time that I did it, I wanted to have a fresh embryo transfer. You know, it's like hindsight 2020. Now we know know, frozen embryo transfers better. You know, but I I was like, nothing's going to stand in the way of me not having my best chance of success. And
0: and Of course, you couldn't tell your patients why you were canceling all these visits. Exactly,
2: exactly. And, And so... T- taking out the travel component, you know, I know people travel for lots of different reasons, whether it's success rates or maybe travel is to get you closer to people who can support you. In that case, I think it might be a fantastic option. Travel for cost, I um, I honestly don't think it's worth it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that's not the reason I chose it. But, you know, I know a lot of patients travel to different countries or um, different locations because of cost. Um there's a high price to pay for that that time and trust and stress that happens with travel.
1: Okay. So what were some of the physical things that you noticed? I mean, we all have our spiels that we go through and most of those are based off of you have seen so many hundreds or thousands of patients in your career. You'll say, okay, going through IVF, most people complain of bloating. Some people complain of headaches, nausea, breast tenderness, feeling hormonal. Mood swings vary greatly. Some women are are more volatile than others. Um, after the retrieval hurts, like we all have our spiels. But did you have to change your spiel after you
0: went through it? A couple of things that I noticed that I was surprised about is, you know, as physicians, we say, oh, you have to give this injection daily. And then toward the middle of your cycle, you start another injection. And then, you know, it's taken for we take for granted the fact that they, patients come in for estrogens and for ultrasounds, and the ultrasounds are vaginal probe ultrasounds. And I remember about after the fifth or sixth day, I'm like, I feel like I'm just being poked. And in fact, one of somebody we talked to in an earlier podcast talked about feeling poked and prodded. That is mm-hmm. exactly the terminology I used. I felt like if you're not sticking a needle in me to get my blood, I'm sticking a needle in me to give me medicine. You're sticking an ultrasound probe in me. And I really just felt poked and prodded. The other thing that I think has really served me well is I really didn't realize how much, at least for me personally, how much an egg retrieval really hurt. Mm -hmm. It was short-lived. It was for about maybe 24 hours, but it was really, I mean, I felt, the way I describe it is I felt like I had done about a thousand sit-ups. It was really sore. And for the first 24 hours when I moved around, it just, it hurt. But as far as the actual medicine itself, I mean, I really didn't have significant side effects. I, I did feel a little bloated, but I didn't feel... Bad otherwise. Yeah. How about what was your experience like, Susan?
2: I I don't remember the medications being bad. I remember like the anticipation of having to do the injections and having to do the injections in crazy places. I remember setting up <laughs> my medications on the counter of a Chinese food restaurant in the bathroom.
1: <laughs> Did anybody walk in and wonder what drugs you there, were there doing? There was somebody
2: who walked in, and I just kept on doing my thing. I'm like, <laughs> you know, gotta gotta make it, gotta make this happen. Um, you know, the, the re- I didn't have many eggs. <laughs> so in that case, my egg retrieval wasn't that painful because, you know, they didn't have to stick too many follicles. Um, I, I It was definitely more emotional than I thought it was going to be. And it, and it was all because of the hopes and dreams on it, um, not necessarily the medications. I mean, I remember being very sensitive to people not giving very, very specific instructions, and then they would give cross instructions. So one person would say this, and somebody else would say this, and it would change the plan. And I, I'm, a, I'm a very, like, we're moving forward type of person. And so if my plans get derailed, I don't react naturally to that.
0: Well you're a control freak is what I you're saying. am a control freak. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome
1: so, to the club, sister. And
2: and so when but when you're in the middle of this and it's like I've been told this and then all of a sudden you're telling me that I can't do this because of something, that doesn't fly very well. So I, I think that has made me very um proactive and and sensitive mm -hmm. to my patients then and I make sure my nurses and support staff know like we all need to be saying the same Mm -hmm. thing and be very very consistent because those inconsistencies were probably one of the biggest struggles I had medication wise
0: I, I I didn't think it was all that big of a deal and I think too you you realize you know the same thing that Susan was saying you just realize how much is riding on this. And it's not so much for me, either the drugs, it was just what's going to happen? Am I really going to be pregnant? You know, what's going to be the ending of my story? And so I, I think that it's made me a lot more sensitive to my patients. And I think I felt angry a bit, as I said at the beginning of the podcast, I don't think I took my anger out on other people. And, and sometimes we see that with patients. But it, when I see an angry patient, I feel like I'm looking right through her and I I feel like going, you know, you may not even realize it, but you're really not angry. You're really just really sad inside. And Mm -hmm. so I think that really helps me kind of counsel that person and kind of, you know, I think when you call it as you see it and you say, you know, really, I know your anger means you're really sad. I mean, it's amazing how many times, you know, we, you know, the patient starts to cry and, you know, because you really, she really feels like you understand what she's going through. And that's really been helpful for me. This by far has been, of all the things in my life, this has been the biggest blessing in disguise. And I didn't recognize it at the time, but boy, it's just helped me
1: tremendously in my career with my patients. It's it's very remarkable how when you were talking, Susan, about your cousin is the real doctor <laughs> in the family. My my husband is also a physician and he deals with very sick children. And, and so he's the Real doctor in the family, (laughs) but when you look at both of us, I mean, we're both dealing with children. Granted, at very different ages. Um, And when he is dealing with his patients, he is dealing with the most important person in that family's life, uh, their child. And for those parents, it's 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 their everything that's right in front of them. Whereas I am not quite dealing with the same thing, but like you said, it's their hopes and dreams. And it's you're more fragile, they are more fragile, they are more ethereal, and they are much harder to recover from when they are dashed. And not that what we do does dash them, but it does greatly impact how someone thought that they were going to be. When you've got a little girl who has been dreaming since she was six years old of her baby doll one day turning into her baby, and you tell her, you know, I'm really sorry, but you're going to require help to get there whether that's just a little tiny whiff of medication or a lot of help you're dealing in hopes and dreams Absolutely. and it's a much different story well i am very glad that both of your hopes and dreams were realized in your small humans and who are, i guess not that we're small anymore bigger humans yes. now <laughs> so i'm very grateful for both of you for telling us your story because it is a very personal thing. I mean, for to have two fertility docs, both who independently didn't tell a soul outside, they're <laughs> yeah, very immediately. We honestly circle. didn't know that until no, we, we just didn't. started so, talking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's um, that speaks volumes to what our. Our patients are going through. So, thank you both so much. I am Dr. Carrie Obedient from the Fertility Center of Las Vegas, sitting here with Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center and Dr. Abby Eblen from Nashville Fertility Center. Thank you so much for tuning in to listen to Fertility Docs Uncensored. And we will talk to you again soon. Have a lovely day. Great to see you guys. Take care. Bye. Bye.